Hey, Masters of Data listeners, I've got something really special for you this week. A few months ago, I had the honor and pleasure to be interviewed on this British podcast, WB40, by one of my favorite people, Matt Ballantyne. Matt and I talked about why we started the Masters of Data podcast and how it's involved and uh, what I've learned so far. So enjoy this podcast and look in your feed next week for another great original podcast episode. And if you have a chance, check out the WB40 podcast at WB40.com. See you soon. First of all, I'm, I, uh, you know, I switched over to product marketing earlier this year in January. I'd been doing product management for several years at Simo. Uh, and I'd actually done product marketing before, but when I switched over, it was kind of, you have an opportunity to kind of rethink how you spend your time, right? And, uh, and I was trying to think of new projects that would be, that would be interesting and kind of push the envelope. And, and I'm a, you know, I'm a audio person. I've loved listening to audiobooks and podcasts for years now. You know, I, I'm, I'm that nerdy that when I bought my first iPod, I bought it because it played audiobooks better. And so I've always had a love for that. And uh, then I was like, you know, I wonder what it'd be like to start a podcast. And then we started thinking about it. And, you know, I've got a great group of collaborators here and we started thinking through it. And, and honestly, when we first started off, we weren't sure exactly what we would make the podcast about. You know, in the beginning, we did think we'd actually make a podcast that was more explicitly about the product area that Sumo Logic has. And, and I think there, we may still decide to do something like that. But I, I think what we realize is that because Sumo Logic's in this growing stage now where we're, we're you know, moving, uh, you know, into kind of on a bigger stage, is it what you could say? It? And, so, and so part of that is, is getting brand recognition fundamentally, you know, people knowing who you are. And you don't do that by making hard pitches. You do that by being present. You know, you, you have to be present and people start to hear about you. So and so this this really kind of, you know, particularly uh, uh, one of my colleagues that I collaborated with a lot, she runs the thought leadership program. And we we really pretty soon after the beginning, we thought about this as a thought leadership project. And so because of that, this is not just about, OK, how do we you know think about meantime to repair and operations and stuff like that, which would have been you know my normal purview. It's like, okay, how do we think about giving something back to the community and kind of raising awareness and, and basically getting out there without the hard pitch? And, you know, fundamentally, we kind of we kind of ended up in this masters of data because it was kind of a wider area. But honestly, my first three interviews were much tighter. They were actually were much closer. And what I realized too is that when I did those, it wasn't matching up to the audience that I thought was going to consume these things. Because in in end up with podcasts, you either get very, very specific. You know, like uh, a podcast I've listened to called Software Engineering Daily. It's very specific for software engineers and it goes in depth. And so they like, you know, they're going to like that because it's made for them and it goes in depth. Or you do something more general audience. And I decided on the general audience. So because of that, I ended up, uh, you know, kind of spreading out as the, as the time went on. And so, you know, over time, I've, I've kind of found other topics that are related to what we do. And they're interested to the people that we end up wanting to buy our product, but it's not so targeted. So it doesn't feel like a hard sale. And I've, and it's a, it's a hard line to balance, honestly, it's a new thing for Sumo. And we've, you know, we're kind of learning how to do it right. But um, it's, I, th I think the key is, is that this is more about awareness than it is about just purely selling a product. That's the key because people are smart. They, they know when you're trying to make a pitch and, you know, and I, I identified really early on, I'd listen, I come across a couple podcasts that were, you know, 
in those advertisements you get on podcasts where it's like, you know, and there was uh, there was something from Dell and uh, I don't know, there was, there was uh, one of the, the big banks in New York. And it was it was such a hard pitch. I was like, I specifically never, ever want to listen to that. You know, I just just as a podcast listener, it's like I that just it sounds it, it is it sounds like crass marketing. And so I think and I think people are just much more sophisticated about that than maybe they would have even been, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. They just don't they they don't have much time and they're not going to listen to something that doesn't actually provide value back to them. They're just not it's just like they're not going to read something that doesn't provide value back. It's the same concept. Have you had difficulty getting the concept over to colleagues? It, it, it partly wasn't getting it across as much as what their assumptions were. So when we started off, everybody was assuming that, you know, I'd be talking to the exact people who use our product. And so I remember when I would I would ask people for guest ideas where they were immediately going was not where I wanted to go. And I think I intuitively kind of knew that, but I had a hard time describing it because one of the hardest things about building a podcast is actually describing the audience. And uh, that was hard. And we, we finally did go through an exercise and I still think it's not exactly where we want it to be, but actually describing it with words is, you know, people wouldn't necessarily get it. Some people got it, um, particularly people that listen to podcasts before, but uh, you know, Sometimes they didn't, but the best way for them to see it was to actually recruit some guests. And then once they heard it, then they're like, okay, I get it now. And so now I'm actually getting what I would say are better suggestions for guests because people can see it. Now they've seen, you know, I mean, we're on our 25th episodes and now they've had, you know, a couple of dozen to, they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. And uh, the, the people that you're trying to be able to get as guests... Have any of those had resistance? Because like, what's this company that deals with kind of like the the plumbing of data? Because you're quite a deep plumbing company. Yeah. And they go, well, well, it, <laughs> well it's definitely in the beginning. Because <laughs> be, I think the first few guests were, um, you know, God bless them. They were, they were, they were showing mercy on us. I was like, okay, I, because we had a relationship, you know, and you, you were, you were an early guest and it was, it was, it was good to, you were in the first, like, I think 10. And so I think that those first few guests were really important because um, they they established a tone, but they were they were kind of a bit going out on the limb because we didn't have that track record. I mean, now when I go recruit guests, I, I don't spend I went from having like a two or three paragraph pitch that I would send to people to I literally have a two line pitch and I send them to the website because now they can go and they can look at the website. They're like, oh, okay. I recognize that person. I recognize that person. I recognize that person. Whereas when you were just starting out and I literally had, you know, two or three in the bag, it was just, it was, uh, it was much harder. It was, it was more based on, oh, I trust you or I trust the person who recommended me to you. And so I think, and, and that's also been partly like building that, that brand and about what, what it is we want to do. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, well you know, uh, one thing I, I wonder if this makes sense to you as well as I realized I shifted also from, when I started off, I was trying to recruit topics that I thought were interesting. I've clearly shifted now to recruiting people because what I've realized and is to that point is it's more important for me to have an interesting conversation with an interesting person about an interesting topic than it is to recruit for a specific topic. So I've, I've ended up finding that's much, much more important because any day people are giving you like 30, 40, you know, 20 minutes, whatever of their time. And it's got to be something that holds their interest and in, 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 in actually a good conversation so they feel like they're actually sitting in a room listening to an interesting conversation. And so that 
that means that the person themselves that you're interviewing matters a lot more than the subject, a lot more. Uh, so uh, people that you've interviewed, who, who surprised you the most? Who's, who's given you something that's really made you have to think? Christian uh, Biedgen, who is actually our, our CTO here, he's a, he's a big reader. He's a, he's a great guy, and he's actually really good at processing ideas and then giving them back to you in a way that's consumable. And, and he's been thinking about a bunch of different topics, and he's also kind of searching for, you know, the you know, a way to communicate with people outside of the, you know, purely sumo logic, you know, product area. And, um, and he recommended the Christian Mosberg book. And then there was a couple other books that he recommended. And I ended up going past that. And I remember I, I sat down with an interview for Christian Mosberg. I really had no idea what was going to happen. You know, it was just, it was, uh, we were interviewing in his, uh, in his old um, standard oil building. It was, and it was hot. Uh, because the air conditioner broke into the building. So I was like, oh, this is probably not going to go well. And then it, you know, ended up being amazing. And I think it was partly because he just, to your point, talking with him was like, uh, you know, part of like almost like the best times of having those, you know, incredibly deep conversations in college that you feel like you don't really have as much once you graduate is, we were we were talking through things and we would start with the concepts in his book, but it was like a give and a take. And, and then a lot of the things that he said, there were multiple different concepts that have ended up appearing in other places. And, it, and like I said, that's why it, uh, you know, it really kind of worked its way through because his ideas about, you know, mastery and intuition that actually came up in our conversation uh, when we talked about, you know, making you making decisions on gut instinct, you know, on, on uh, you know, you know, something that you can't really explain, but it's based on your mastery of a subject. And like we talked about that, you know, talking about, you know, you, you and I have just, you know, talked a little bit about this over email, you know, the rise of the polymath. Well, that came up in a, you know, a couple other conversations, which we can talk about. And, um, and, and this, the, the idea of like the, you know, bringing the human to data, I actually ended up changing our tagline from at first, our tagline for masters of data was, uh, what was it? It was, uh, basically, you know, stories about people on the front lines of the data revolution. That's the way I thought about it. I've actually changed it now to bringing the human to data. And that is 100% based on processing my conversation with Madsbreaker over a couple of months. I was like, well, what we're really doing is we're talking just about bringing the human to data and understanding how the human intersects with this world of data, which seems really, you know, fixed and very um, specific, but then it's, it's much more malleable and biased than you really realize. And that all kind of came out of that. And so what, what I found is, is that those same topics end up popping up with all these other people. And then they're bringing a different viewpoint on it, which is then, honestly, in my mind, I, I feel like I've gotten, you know, some sort of like, <laughs> it's almost like one of those uh, correspondence degrees or something in, in uh, you know, data or something over the last nine months because of talking to all these people, right? Uh, but they but they end up aligning on a lot of the same topics. The same topics just keep popping up again and again and again. There's also something I think about the thread of meeting people and the narrative that you have to be able to be able to thread those conversations together. Yeah, which enables you to be able to think through stuff. There's nothing I think as good as being able to have a really solid excuse to go and talk to somebody interesting. But uh, but then to be able to share that and to be able to then make um, uh, a, a broader sense of, of where that's that's um, taking not only what you're doing there, but also how that then feeds back into actually what it is that the company is thinking about because that it must be having an impact back surely. I think it definitely has because you know part partly what we're seeing in the analytics space like where sumo is is that 
more people in the company are wanting to consume the data. There, you know, there's a, there in some sense, we talk about this idea. And in the, in, in the beginning, I thought this is what the podcast would kind of be about, was the analytics economy. It's something that our CEO talks about. Uh, and it's basically that you win based on the quali- the, your ability to process the data and get those insights out of it. Like you, you're winning based on your ability to get those insights and then act on them. And so in, in some sense, you're creating new value out of this data, which might not have been as value before. So you're kind of generating an economy around it. But what I've realized in talking to a lot of these people is that what that analytics con- economy has done is it's driven different uh, groups of people are now wanting to be, you know, they're coming up to the table and say, I want some. So you're, you're moving from a purely IT driven, a purely now even security driven discussion where it's like th- they've been the the main consumers and the main owners of this data to um, driving outside of that. So it's actually driven other discussions and informed it. Like we did a study uh, last summer about, you know, customer experience in data. And that ended up coming out of a lot of discussions I was having. I was like, this seems important. And so we went and did a, you know, we actually went and interviewed and saw how people were using data. And then we saw how there were different groups in the company that were using data that hadn't really been using it in the same way before, which led to other discussions. So it's definitely influenced it. And then I find that I also have conversations with my colleagues and even, you know, with customers and things like that. It's like, oh, I listened to that episode. And then it ends up opening up these other discussions. But it's just part of the, I think, the general change in the industry. Like they talk about like the fourth industrial revolution or data revolution, whatever it is. It's really not about the traditional groups like IT and security only getting more value of data is actually the rest of the company. And, and those people are not, they don't talk about it in the same way. And so in some sense, using this humanizing language actually is the, is the language you need to talk to those other people, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you think data is, um, in that context, do you think th- the term data is being used as a, a, I don't know, some sort of magic unicorn that will solve the intractable problems that actually <laughs> it's still about getting people to work differently. To, to a certain extent, but I think there's also, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people outside of, you know, direct, um, you know, area where usually usually play, they, they start bringing up big data and there's a sense that big data failed, which I'd actually mostly agree with. Uh, and so there's there's also this wariness. There's a sense that, oh, data is is really powerful, but then, you know, I heard about this big data project that failed. So I think there's a, people are kind of coming back to it. And that, that's one of the reasons why we end up getting into topics like AI and algorithms, because now it's more about, it's not just about the data, it's more about the application of the data. So a lot of the conversations end up being about either, you know, about, you know, here's how algorithms are being used to do the data, or here's how AI is involved in the data. So a lot of this is more around, how can we get more out of that data using these mechanisms, not around just, you know, the, the big data concept, which was get as much as you can all in one place. And then something wonderful will come out of it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that people think that anymore. Even people that are not directly in the area, there's a, there's a caution there. Um, but there is a sense that, you know, we can get more out of this than we ever got out before, but it's usually, it's more practical now, if that makes sense. You've touched a couple of times on um, the concept of polymaths. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of those ones that's emerged a little later because, you know, when I, I would say when I had the conversation with Christian Matsberg, Christian was coming from the, you know, kind of the background of being a, a humanist that 
you know, came into technology and he spent a lot of, I think, of his career and his life learning how to interact with these, you know, engineering types and scientist types. And and that's not really a polymath at that point. That's that's getting two different groups of people to work together, which I think is an important part of the conversation. But then actually I had a conversation with this company called Sparks and Honey, which was, you know, get best company name ever. Uh, and they do they do this uh, cultural, it's basically AI for culture is what it is. They go and they listen to all these signals on the internet and other places, and they start identifying cultural trends. And then through them, again, like I said before, you know, guests give you the best guest. Um, you know, uh, Terry worked there, Terry Young, who, who founded and is the CEO of that company. He recommended me uh, a lady that used to work there, uh, Sarah Devonzo, who is now over at L'Oreal Paris. And uh, her title, like her informal title, is, is uh, Chief Creativity Officer. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. And, and it, was, it, it was a really amazing conversation. And I keep going back to it because she, she described in the best way that I've seen so far this idea of, of, of polymaths. And she talks about – she has this talk track, and I definitely recommend you know, anybody that listens to this to go check it out. She, she talked about the um, – she called it the mepidemic, like the MEH epidemic. So basically, people not caring enough to do anything, and so there's a lack of curiosity. And uh, and she she focused a lot on curiosity, and the reason why is she she says that innovation comes out of be, actually being curious about something, which I totally agree with. And she talks about the and her analogy for um, curiosity is that I, I love it because she talks about you know people they see, feel, think, and do, and she she call she has names for all those people. She calls them. Uh, uh, see, lookers and lickers and and uh, lookers and lickers and thinkers and pokers or something like I may be getting a little this wrong, but you know the lookers, the seers, the lickers and the pokers. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's the best. Now you can't you can't you can't really forget the you know the mental images you're saying, but the the point of what she's getting at is that the 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 polymath idea is that you're interested in multiple things and that you can move between different subjects it doesn't mean that you're changing who you are so the way that i you know i consider myself a polymath i'm hoping that this now is an actual benefit to me as opposed to a detriment because <laughs> usually I, I have a hard time focusing on anything um so hopefully my time has come uh so maybe that's partly why i'm interested in it because i'm trying to justify myself but the the point is the way i explore and I'm probably more on the, um, I don't know, the poker, liquor, you know, spectrum, uh, is that I like to try things out. Now, somebody else, uh, you know, I would say, if our CTO, Christian, he, he's, a, he's a big thinker, and he'll come with these fully formed ideas. I'm like, wow, that's great. Uh, and and he, he'll just completely open my mind to something we explore in different ways, and we can end up complementing each other, but we're both effectively polymaths. So I think partly what I'm seeing out of that, and, and again, I saw that come up in other conversations, and I've seen it come up at, at work and in my personal life and talking to people. I think now that data is driving a lot of things in analytics and you're, you're basically building on the top of these technological platforms, it is not about just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. The people that are actually going to be, particularly like the millennials that are growing up now, the way they're going to be successful is by being able to cross boundaries and think about uh, solutions that are not just strictly within their purview. And the only way you can do that is if you start having experience out of your, you know, your particular focus area, because if you're just the finance guy or the, 
you're the, you know, engineering girl, you're, you know, whatever, that's who you are, then you have a very hard time saying, okay, oh, I wonder how this group over here does things and how they think about things where, as I think if you can rise up above that a little bit and, and think about, okay, what are we actually trying to accomplish? And maybe I actually go do that job for a year. I go do that job for a couple of years and I come back. Now I've got an appreciation for how things actually get done. I think that's the way people are going to be successful going forward. Cause I think originally, I don't know, like in the mid century, last century, you, you rose up to the top by being, by being, you know, just, you know, a good leadership uh, leader in a function and you rose up and you rose the ladder through finance or sales or whatever it was. And, and it was all about, you know, taking on bigger, bigger projects. I think the people that are actually going to succeed at the top and maybe the next generation of CEOs are going to be these ones that actually can appreciate across the boundaries that they can actually make those connections and they can actually make the, you know, those intuitive leaps. And the only way you can make intuitive leaps, I think, is through experience and effectively data. Like, have you actually had the experience? Have you actually interacted with these different areas? And now you can, you know, you can see it. And, and, you know, and honestly, now that I go and listen to interviews with CEOs, I see some of that. Uh, Is there a, um, a kind of on a pedestal guest that you have in your mind that you think is out of reach, but there would be the kind of, that's the point at which you just stop doing the, the show because that's oh. it, it can't get any better. <laughs> oh, I have a spreadsheet of guests like that. Um, yeah, of all the guests, like, has not responded to me. Yeah, I've, I've, got a, I've got a few, like, every once in a while, just for the hell of it, I reach out to Elon Musk to see what will happen. Um, he hasn't got back. Um <laughs> And I, and I got, you know, I got turned down by, you know, uh, you know, other people of that, you know, same caliber, but I'll keep trying. Yeah. So I get, I guess if I get a, you know, somebody like, you know, Werner Vogels or Elon Musk or, you know, uh, somebody like, uh, somebody like that to respond to me, then yeah, it's like, I'm done. I'm, I'm putting down the hat, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm anywhere close to that right now.